I can't think myself into a new way of living. I have to live myself into a new way of thinking. We've gotten so focused on this disease model that we forget about health. What are we doing for your health? Yes, you have the disease. We can treat that. We can work on that. But what are we doing for your health? And how do we help that? What are the psychological determinants of your caloric intake? Welcome to Financial Sobriety, the podcast. Podcast? This conversation is all about money. Money, not in the context of so many of the other podcasts that are out there. So we're not going to talk about Roth IRAs and and whether annuities are good or bad and how I can buy the next Tesla stock? I'm afraid not. What are we going to talk about then? We're going to talk about the three most complicated relationships people have in their life. Ooh, tell me more. The relationship people have with their money, how that affects the relationship they have with their people, and ultimately about the person looking back at them in the mirror and the relationship with themselves. So you're saying these are all tied together, these three relationships. Well, if you stick around, we'll tell you more. We are back in studio with my dear friend, Dr. Rishi Menon. We had an amazing start to our conversation, and we're just going to pick up where we left off and see where this journey of financial sobriety has taken our good friend, Dr. Rishi Menon. What happened with you, with your family, with your friends? How did that manifestation of how you felt about yourself have an impact on the relationship you had with people? Oh, yeah. The the family relationship is an important one. So as you mentioned, I grew up in a very loving family, and I was very close with my two sisters. But as I started to unravel, and and I was very chaotic, there's a lot of outbursts. There's a lot of like, why can't you help me? Because in my mind, I, I just didn't know. And I would get upset at people. I would say, you know, you need to fix this. And that was a very immature thing. I was just so broken. And they wanted to. My loving family, my sisters wanted to, but they couldn't. This is not something anybody else can fix for me. They wanted to change you, but they didn't have the power to do it. And how frustrating is that to see somebody you love? Oh, that's the worst. I I have an overly simplistic analogy that I use for that. It's like trying to push a rope. You desperately want to throw them the rope and pull them out of the situation. But really, at the end of the day, it's pushing a rope because unless you wanted to make the change, your dear sisters, there's nothing they they could do. They have to watch you go through this horrific struggle knowing that they would do probably anything to help you, and they can't. I would imagine there are a few people hanging out with us today who have felt the same way about themselves. Part of the reason why they like to hang out with us every other week on the show. And as a result of how they treated themselves and how they felt about themselves, it alienated some relationships in their personal life. I know I still struggle with some of the relationships that I used to have way back when. I almost grieve them a little bit and wish they were the way they were. They've gotten better, but they're not the way they once were. And that's something I know I've, I've often felt some pain around. I wouldn't say I suffer from it or struggle from it anymore because pain is inevitable, but struggle and suffering is absolutely optional. It's, it's a major theme here on our show. As you've made changes in your life, the relationship with your closest people, your parents, your sisters, how have those begun to heal a little bit if they have given some of the changes that you've made and the new way that you look at yourself in the mirror every day? That's a great question, and this is probably one of the most challenging things in my life that I deal with every day. But the first thing that really took in, the first thing that I think really started to transform 
this relationship, these rebuilding this relationship was something you taught me, Matt, which is about love, right? If I'm re if I'm coming to a new understanding of who I am and what maybe I've always been, I have to question one of the most fundamental things about myself is how do I love people? What does that mean to me? It's a very challenging question. It's right up there or close to what's my relationship with food, right? These are fundamental things for me, probably for all humans. And for the damage that I did, for the way people experienced me, there's going to be some distance. And I, mm-hmm. once I'm feeling better, I'm like, hey, guys, I'm good. Let's, right. let's go make jokes. Aren't we supposed to be making fun of each other like we let's used to? Let's get it back to the way it used yeah. to be. Yeah. Get the gang together. Yeah. What are you guys all pissed about? You know, that's, you're still worried about that? It's not how it works. So I've had to think about a new way of love. And, and this is what, you know, our friendship has really helped me with is it's good reminders that when I feel like I want to rush that rebuilding, I want it to be the way it was, just the good parts. It's like, no, I have to love them. And what does that mean? Loving the people in my life that have been affected by my behaviors means giving them their space, respecting their boundaries, means that even though the, mo- the thing I want most in the world is to be hanging out with them and be around them, I love them so much that me not, if they don't want me around them, that I'll respect that. You're that, okay with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And, and over time, that's gotten easier. It wasn't at first because, again, the way I wanted love is it's got to be like, you know, here we are interacting with each other. It's, it is like my relationship to food and I give know, and I get. I give and I get. And I had expectation of getting. But now you're living in more of the space of what unconditional love truly is, where you can give without any requirement to get. And and almost the opposite of getting. And it's day by day, you know, there's there's no enlightenment here. It's just continuous reminders of that's how it is. And sometimes I really get that, oh, man, I, I want to want it to be that way. But I have these tools. I have these, these people around me, this community where all I got to do, if, even if I know I'm getting real close to messing something up, I just got to pick up the phone, talk to one of the many people that I know who are on this journey with me, and they'll help me. And they'll say, hey, remember that thing about love? I hear your voice. I mean, I hear Matt's voice in my head all the time. Yeah, don't What's we all? About? Like, <laughs> probably because he's right there anyway, you know. Hey, Rishi. Hey, buddy. <laughs> I mean, the concept of trust is a huge part of love. And love can endure anything, but when trust leaves the room, you're starting over, right? The love's still there, but it's a very distant love. And it sounds like you've gone through that process of one day at a time, rebuilding the trust that existed in those critical and most valued relationships in your life. And part of rebuilding that trust is giving them the space to do what you've said, which is yeah. which is beautiful. And that's where the work is. And that's actually where I think a lot of the love comes from is by giving them the space to be able to go, you know what, I just, I can't deal. I can't, I'm not ready for you in, in that way yet because I'm still rebuilding the trust that was broken. And God bless you. That's impressive. I can't wait to see you one day maybe be a dad. Because (laughs) one of the hardest things I've ever had to learn through, you know, kind of what we're talking about today was the day I said to my youngest boy, Lucas, who's now 18 and no longer my legal responsibility anymore, but when he was my legal responsibility, and I, I was able to look at him one day and tell him, I love you so much that I'm willing to let you hate me for the rest of my life. And it was an expression of unconditional love I didn't know existed before going through this process of financial sobriety, being more intentional, 
being able to heal that relationship with self in the mirror, right? It goes back to the pain of discipline versus the pain of regret, right? The way I show myself love now is by this pain of discipline. It does not feel good to exercise or to show restraint and not picking up that donut when I'm having coffee in the morning. It's that pain of discipline that is how I show unconditional love. So if I had to put boundaries in place for my son, I loved him so much that I wasn't just going to placate him and say yes because it was important for me to like him. That's how much I loved him. And to hear you share that you love your sisters, your family, the other people in your life that you've hurt, you love them so much that you're allowing them the space to not like you very much is such a beautiful expression of unconditional love and how you've been able to do that for yourself, for your people, and, and knowing now, that it's a one-day-at-a-time kind of thing. I think I know where you're going. You know where I'm going? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking around the corner with you. Ah, you, because you fortune in, teller, you. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to cut you off at the pass. <laughs> yeah, and, go and for it. On this yeah, one. next one's yours. So in this incredible story and this journey that you've been on, money is a theme throughout it, right? And your relationship with money, while maybe not a present thought, not a forward thought in the brain at the time, but now at the beauty of hindsight, if you look back at that, what was your relationship like with money and how has that evolved? Oh, God, great question as well. I mean, the, everything in my life is a reflection of my mindset and the way I was. Every relationship, every you know, major relationship like we're discussing here. At that time, money was just some, another thing to numb me, right? Take the vacation. I would, you know, didn't really invest. I, what I needed now, money gave me the resource to do. I bought a bunch of random Cardinals. I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. So yep. I all this oh, yeah. get out. Yep. Get out. Greatest team in the National and that's League. A, and that's a wrap. And that's a wrap. <laughs> Best fans in baseball. <laughs> well, at least at least he didn't say Phillies or Dodgers. Or Cubs. Oh, see, that's a problem for you. That's not a problem for me. Well, the problems of the most winning team, the most championships in the National League are going to differ from team to team, I guess. I, know. I don't know. There I you know. go. Just had to put that there out. There you I go. Know. Love it. <laughs> but, you, but you spent lots of money on Cardinal oh swag. Crazy things. Randomly, I'm kind of proud of some of the memorabilia that I got when I was being really weird with money, but most of it is junk. But that's all it was, right? Mm -hmm. Money was just something that was available in my world to make me feel better about myself. And, and it's like all these other things, even love, even relationships with people they they're not inherently you know good or bad as has been mentioned i use them a certain way money has the potential to unlock a lot of things but i used it you know almost as a drug to make myself feel better and what i needed to do is make actually feel better about myself do that work and then i can restore my relationship with money with nutrition with my family with the people i interact with it all had to start from there and and now uh, how about that guy in the mirror you look at every day that's taking some work. You yeah. Know, unraveling your recovering from or surviving imposter syndrome. That's all I'm going to say. It's surviving imposter syndrome. That's a process. Yeah. I like myself more now. I can see more about my assets and my defects. I can see that more honestly. I don't know that I'm quite there of loving myself yet, but I'm a lot closer. I'm definitely good with myself. You know, I'm going to predict something for you. Because we, we've talked a little bit about how, and I think we've spent a little more time talking about how your behaviors and choices affected your people, your money, how that's gotten a little bit better. I'm going to predict that as your relationship with self becomes completely and truly unconditionally loving, where you give yourself grace, you allow yourself to be human, despite 
the MD after your name and all the expectations that come with that. You might still have a donut. You might still intentionally have a donut and not kick your own ass for it as that strengthens. And and I'm going to suggest this to you. I mean, this is something that worked great for me. I've suggested it to any human being in our community of financial sobriety that's asked. I don't make the suggestion unless they ask, except I'm going to do that today. If you were to write on your bathroom mirror in don't don't do it in permanent use the <laughs> use the dry erase markers i made that mistake once i love you i'm proud of you i believe in you and then underneath it i forgive you mm. and just see it every day you've taught me so much physically medically about what i consume what i put in my body what that does to me and what it can do to me what it can do for me you and I have also had lots of conversation about mental health and what we take into our minds and what we take into our spirits and what we allow our emotions to actually breathe in. And I'm going to just suggest that if that's something you're looking at every morning before you leave your home and every night before you go to bed, just taking that in, the impact that it had on me was it completely changed my relationship with self. And the unconditional love that developed from that to me has now been transferred to what I can give to other people because I as well had people in my life that wanted nothing to do with me, including Amy. There was a point where Amy looked at me and said, get out. I never want to see you again. And to be at a place now where our relationship is stronger than it's ever been I don't think that happened just because I started treating her better, because that would have been imposter syndrome. It started with how I felt about myself. And I love seeing you on this journey, because it is a one day at a time thing, and it is a progress, not perfection thing. And to watch where you were when we first met a couple of years ago to where you are today, oh my. Just, just the stories that you've shared about the impact that it has on your patients. The way you practice medicine today has changed. Tell me about that. Talk, share that because that's Everything. awesome. I love when you talk about this. Everything has changed. Because had... you, you work for a big practice, right? You guys are seeing lots of patients. Oh, yeah. Right? Roseville Cardiology, you got them coming in nonstop. High volume, lots of patients that need our care. Yeah. How yeah, has that changed practice. for you? And it's been a, definitely been an evolution. What I've realized is that a lot of what medicine is or, or the, the way I practice medicine, I'll, I'll keep it that way, is, is very much what are your diseases? What do we need to treat? And in a way, I didn't actually look at the individual's health. We weren't talking about their health. We were talking about their diseases. And that's appropriate for certain true, real diseases, like a heart attack. You need to be on certain medications after you've had a heart attack and a stent to treat the heart attack. Those are well proven. You don't even, I mean, those trials are just clear. Heart failure, different medical conditions. But what about the person that comes in saying, you know, I'm carrying a little extra weight. My blood pressure's a little high. My sugar metabolism, my, my you know, glycemic control isn't that normal. I'm worried. That's, a, that's an issue of health. And every person, whether or not they have disease, has the capacity for increasing their health. And we, I did not focus on that. Now I spend a large majority of my time focusing on that. You got questions about the medicines for your stent or something else. We're going to talk about that. I have the expertise to help answer those questions so you can make the decision. But we're going to talk about your health. And in a weird way, what I, I thought about this a couple of weeks ago, we've made the lack of health into a disease. And what do we do with diseases? We give them medicines. We treat them with procedures. That's convenient. It's studyable. 
try to study nutrition, mm-mm, that is a very difficult task. That's why we don't know the ideal human diet, right? right? But it's really about health. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier that is beautiful is mental health. I mean, how do you have physical health with mental health without mental health? That's my experience. My lack of physical health really was my lack of mental health. And as my mental health improved, wow. my physical health occurred. I wasn't waking up like iron will. I got to go to the gym and I'm going to, I'm going to lift more. I'm going to run further and faster. I'm running faster and longer than I ever have in my life without trying because my mind, my mental health is going in a different direction. I'm giving myself grace. Fortunately for me, exercise is really helpful, but that's what I talk about with patients. What are your barriers? The human body, I think, I believe, I don't have the paper to prove this, but this is my belief, doesn't want to carry extra weight. It doesn't want to have abnormal glycemic control. It doesn't want to have high blood pressure. So why does it? What are, what are the factors? Maybe there's a disease that we got to look for that, but is it something behavioral? And that's what we, that's what I try to explore with people. What's going on? You know, okay. You know, I, you lost your son. Your something just happened. Oh my gosh. There is somebody died in the family in a car accident last year. And we don't, we don't, I didn't even know that of every single day I wake up and, or the, the person may say, I wake up and there's nobody next to me because I lost my wife. And it's not always some clear tragedy like this, but whatever it is, how do we deal with that? Because if we can deal with that, you're not going to want to mindlessly eat everything. Mm-hmm. You may have the energy to get up and go outside and walk and exercise. You may sleep better. You may find it easier to have connections with people so that you have this energy. We've gotten so focused on this disease model that we forget about health. And that's what I try to talk with people about is what are we doing for your health? Yes, you have the disease. We can treat that. We can work on that. But what are we doing for your health? And how do we help that? You know, in my ideal clinic, it would be mostly talking about that, right? Not just like, let me send you to the nutritionist. What are the psychological determinants of your caloric intake? That's what really how I describe it for myself. Again, I still eat things that, I, that are bad for me, but 80% of the time I'm really eating nutritionally because I know how I feel when I eat that way. Mm-hmm. So I, I use my experience. I use the data that I know. And again, with health, health promotion, I guess is what we call it in the medical world, there's not a lot of data. We know the data about statins and drugs and things like that, which isn't great, you know, for prevent what we call primary prevention, preventing a disease. But we have to really get into this very complex thing of uh, concept of the lack of health. And a lot of times, too, you know, you had mentioned it, Jim, when with clients coming in, they want to they kind of want to just connect. And one of the most important things in COVID for a lot of our patients is they don't really see people our elderly patients. Yeah. The doctor may be that social visit. So sometimes the best thing I can do for them is just give them the space, yeah. make some jokes with them, talk to them about the news or something, whatever they want to talk about. My 95-year-old father, his only socialization during COVID because they were he's in an independent living community. The dining room was closed. You were not really permitted to be you know, wandering up and down the halls hoping to see somebody. His socialization was his doctor's appointments. You wow. are 100% spot on with that, and it is so refreshing to hear you talk about health in the context of the underlying conditions, the underlying aspects of life that are contributing to the circumstance that may lead to a disease or may already have the disease, but that is, is reversible in the context of improving your health and not just throwing another pill at it. That's always kind of been my frustration, not as much with my own health journey, but certainly with my older parents, 
is at this stage of my dad's life, he's on 11 different medications. Wow. 11. I have spoken with his cardiologist mm. about why is, why is he on this medication? Well, it's for, you know, it's for extending his life. And why is he on this medication? Well, it's to prevent stroke. Okay. My dad's a huge basketball guy. I always, I mean, my dad and I openly joke about the fact that he's in triple overtime. <laughs> so what are, what are we doing when there's all these other complications that come from all these different medicines from just throwing a pill at, at a problem and not unpacking, taking the time to unpack? So my hat's off to you for taking the time with clients to do that or patients to do that because it's, it's needed today more than it ever has been. And it, it, it's just like everything else in the journey. Once you see it, you see it, and it just makes sense, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, you have high blood pressure. That's going to lead to – high blood pressure itself will lead to diseases. So, okay, right now we got to start you on a med medication. We're going to do that. I can't – I don't want you – I don't recommend that you walk around with high blood pressure. But what's our exit strategy here? What are we going to do? Do we have options so that your body can do for itself what it needs to, that you don't need an external pill? Exercise, improve the, you know, arterial elasticity, all these, all these different surrogates that we use. But what can we do so that you can regulate your own physiology? And are you interested in doing that? And, and if you're not, it's okay. I mean, we do have medicines that will help you. That's, that's a good situation to but be in. But your interest now, where it wasn't so much in the past when your relationship with self was a little off kilter. Now it seems like, okay, the triage moment is let's get you on 20 milligrams of this, but what's the game plan to get you off of this from a lifestyle standpoint, from a human behavioral standpoint, from a, I'm just creating a safe place for us to explore these concepts together kind of place. There's so much more treatment there to the human being than just a prescription, a procedure, and a diagnosis. That's awesome. Oh, you guys are warm in my heart. You're getting it. This is exactly right. So much of school for me has become what we experience here in the studio, especially not just the studio, but what we experience in our office. In and the just, other studio. Yeah, the other studio where, where we're just learning from people and their experience and their journey. And that and your journey's been so fascinating to me. I've, I've wanted to have you in here for a long time. I, I do want to shift the conversation in a minute more towards specifically what's happening in the world today, some of the misinformation that's being shared in the world today as it relates to conversations that you and I've had. But before we do that, I've often been asked after a show, you've been asked after a show. What, we, are, what are we having for lunch? What, what tacos <laughs> are we getting today for lunch? By the way, I, did, I am getting two pork belly, one roadkill, and one fried chicken taco. So nice. I am I am intentionally clogging the crap out of my arteries today. No, 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 no. So the the uh, what's that Mexican cheese called? I forget. is it they crumble it up on the top. Some oh I know what you're talking about. Uh, we need uh, Ace to do a little <laughs> Google for us. Forgive here. me, I'm from Syracuse, New York. So <laughs> so not, you know American not, cheese, slice craft American yeah, cheese. Exactly, Velveeta would be better. <laughs> well, what what they do now, and Allison Allison did this for us today is. They replace that cheese and they just they put the Lipitor in a porter. And, uh, oh, do they, they crush, they crush it, and it, just... it and they sprinkle it over the top so, so it, it looks, looks like that Oaxaca like cheese. cheese. Yeah. Nice, that is awesome. So it just it's it's clean food. It it goes in and you have no problems. It from goes it. it goes in and goes outs. Yeah, it's it's perfect. Besides what is on the lunch menu today, 
uh, we often get emails, calls, text messages about, gosh, we've heard so much about the problem, about the mess, about the chaos that was created in your life, but yet you seem to be doing better. Life seems to be so much better. I've shared on the show that, you know, I've been at the top of the financial food chain. I've also been at the very bottom. I'm somewhere in the middle right now, yet I feel wealthier than I've ever felt in my life because of certain things that I do every day. And the questions we often get are, what are those things you're doing differently? What does that daily routine look like? So before we kind of shift the conversation in a different direction, I would love to hear about what happens the minute your eyes open up in the morning and how you set yourself up for this day of showing up for people and and creating this incredibly safe, almost sanctuary for people to feel comfortable enough and safe enough to start exploring different ways to live their life because of the health conversation you have versus the disease conversation. How does the day start for you to be able to do that given where you were? Yeah. And it's taken, this journey is amazing because it evolves every day. I mean, I learn new things, new techniques for my morning routine. Number one, wake up. Thank you, God. My eyes woke up. It's a pretty unlikely thing that I wake up, that my eyes open. So I really experienced gratitude for that. And I didn't before. I would, I would always say, thank you, God, in the morning as but I you started. Didn't mean this it. I didn't mean it. You know, fake it till you make it is a powerful tool. And it's also not, you know, like a bad thing. I was about to say pejorative, but, you know, I don't know if you have words. Yeah, that we well, can't well, spell well, that. Well. That sounds like a disease. Well, Kevin will tell us what that means How's your, when he's listening. Is your pejorative any better? It is. It is. It's a, it was a little swollen yesterday. Was there a salve for that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just yeah, quickly, though, as an aside on that, the fake it till you make it. I thought that was bad. Like, I'm, I'm being dishonest. But fake it till you make it is just the acknowledgement for me that I'm a dumbass. I don't know what I'm doing, right? And so I have to fake. How could I know what I'm doing? So somebody told me to do something. I'm going to try it. I am faking it. How sweet would that be if I had the switch that I could flip for being happy, for doing everything right? I don't have that switch. Right? When you get that, can you come back to the show, please? So you, I mean, so you didn't necessarily believe what you were doing, but like you and I have talked about, we really can't think ourselves into better behavior because it's our thinking that got us in trouble. So now we have to love, act ourselves. Yeah. yeah, we have to yeah. act ourselves into better thinking. So you start your morning with thanking God, your higher power, whatever that is, for the fact that your eyes opened up, you got another shot. And that and that's exactly right. I don't know what God is. I don't know what whatever thing I'm interacting with is. I'm just I'm doing the experiment. I'm gonna try, does this make my life better? Does it make me more helpful? Does it make me have more peace? And it does. It it really does. Like you had just said, I, I heard that phrase. I can't think myself into a new way of living. I have to live myself into a new way of thinking. And that is what happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, oh, my God, this is actually a miracle that my eyes opened. It is a miracle, and I'm grateful. And kind of whatever happens the rest of my day, nothing's going to beat the miracle that I woke up. So that's number one, and that's been pretty powerful for me. Then I do my normal routine. I mean, the first thing I do is I fire off a text to my parents, tell them I love them, you know, how do they sleep. And then I fire off text to somewhere between 10 and 15 people. And I'm mm. getting texts too oh, from wow. other people. Do Oh, wow. it's great. Wow. It may just be like, hey, I hope you have a good day. I love you, brother. Or, you know, sometimes it's specific. Like, hey, you're a really good dad. You know, just whatever's on my mind as I wake up in the morning. And I don't, it's not that I don't care, but I don't expect that they're going to respond back to me. Like, yeah, hey, you have no you? expectation. You're giving you're with no, no expectation yeah. of receiving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and it's not even like, a, oh, that person's going to feel really good. In some ways, I'm just doing it for myself because it's a way for me to use technology 
instead of getting on Instagram in the morning right away, I'm just going to fire off these texts. And some, again, sometimes they do come back to me and conversations get started, which is wonderful. But that's, that's like my first 10 minutes, normal activities, getting ready. I try to get outside and get a little bit of sunshine, low level sunshine, get that exposure, get my rhythms going. I end up connecting over the phone or online with people just to talk about how things are going, listen to what's going on for them. And then I get my day started. One other thing that occurred to me too, or, or has been a factor in how I wake up is I don't know how I'm going to wake up, right? I could have had, I could have a great day. To, I'm going to have a great day today. I'm talking with you guys. A fantastic. I went on a run in the morning. Never get to do that. This is a great day, right? Nothing could go wrong. There you go. But if, the, if this day ends up being a good day, I could wake up tomorrow feeling terrible, right? I could. Yeah. Or I could have a terrible day, wake up feeling great. Sure. And now I'm guilty of why I'm not remorseful for this awful day that I had. But what I realized is I'm sleeping. I, uh, my awareness is gone. I maybe have a dream or two, but there's a lot of mental activity that's going on. And then I wake up and I have this awareness and I'm like kind of processing all this stuff that I didn't know that was occurring for eight hours. So it makes sense that I have no idea how I'm going to wake up. So I don't start my narrative in the morning about, oh, I feel bad. I'm going to continue that. Sometimes I feel bad and 20 minutes later after my routine, I could feel good. Sometimes I feel good. 20 minutes later, I could feel bad. That's, I've heard this phrase, like, give yourself grace about things. And I never really liked that. But that's operationally how I give myself grace in the morning if I wake up feeling bad is that I know that I don't know why I feel that way. And it may change. And that little bit of ability to give myself some pause, even if I'm feeling bad, can change my whole day. Starting with that curiosity, you know, mm -hmm. we've talked about mm -hmm. that. What, what's, why am I feeling this way? You know, curiosity for me, I used to wake up anxious. You know, oh every man. day, every day. I don't relate to that at all. Yeah. <laughs> We're unique. Yeah. It's, just, it's just us guys. I can't understand that. Waking up anxious every morning. Who would do that? Nobody yeah, does that. We're That's the just only us. two people in the world. Okay, you know? good. Yeah. Thank God. And Thank we're God. just weird. That's yeah. yeah. That routine has been immensely helpful for me to, to contextualize my day, to be able to face whatever goes on. And I don't really have bad days anymore. I have bad hours. You know, bad minutes. Sometimes it's longer, but I don't have bad days. That's quite a gift. That is a gift and a half. And the intentionality of how you start your day, just it, it's it's just a thread throughout, right? Because it just starts this snowball effect of you know snowballs are like ho hos. Just in case you were wondering, <laughs> I love snowballs and uh, ho hos. Snow snowballs are the things with the coconut on the outside, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a snowball effect for how you live the rest of your life on that day. And it is a day-by-day -day thing. I have so enjoyed the conversation today. I'm really looking forward to getting into the uh, the science of some of the stuff we're going to talk about. But well, that, that'll be a later show. It It is. I mean, we, we have talked a lot about today. I am, I am going to set up the second half of our conversation because it really ties in with everything we've talked about so far. You used to live a life, part of what and, and you've shared this with me, part of what you always shared with me was what contributed to how you felt about yourself was that initially, or for a lot of years, you blamed other people for how you felt. It was always somebody else's fault. You didn't really have any ownership of your feelings or the circumstances in your life. And you and I kind of are cut from the same cloth on this fact that we used to use this term a lot, this happened to me. What's going on in the world is happening to me. 
this patient fired me. That's happening to me. There's a conflict at work. It's happening to me. My parents, my family, all these things that happen to me. And part of the, the great evolution that you've been through is this, this mindset shift that things don't happen to me. Everything happens for me. And you've done such a beautiful job of sharing with me, even at your lowest of lows, that time in your life where you were at absolute rock bottom and amazing how the universe works and all of these intersections and sliding doors that put you and me in the same place at that time where we met one another, where you were at that absolute bottom and that you had the courage to reach your hand out and introduce yourself. And because of the journey that I've been on with this guy, I was able to hold some space for you and not just ask you, hey, how you doing? And not really care, but I actually cared. And you had that moment of willingness and that vulnerability to not just respond the way we normally do, which is, I'm fine. I'm fine. Which, I'm better than I deserve. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> one. Really? If I, was, really? if I was any better, there'd be three of me I sitting mean, here right now. That's just right? a crock of you know what. Yeah. <laughs> what I've been trained to learn is that when somebody says to me, I'm fine— Fine is another one of those lovely acronyms that tells me somehow you're full of fear. You're full of, help me with the I was Insecure. again. Insecurity. Good. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Neediness and a lot of emotion. And so if somebody shares with you that they're fine, perhaps there's something going on a little bit more behind the scenes that we're not aware of. And I'm, and I'm glad you shared that with me. <laughs> So, so here we are, we've gotten to this place now where everything happens for us. You've told me that that moment of your very, very bottom happened for you. It was very easy to be a victim of circumstance, but it happened for you. And there's so much going on in the world today that every time you turn on the television or read the news, it's designed to teach you about the things that are happening to you which keeps you in that victimhood mindset. Yeah, you're powerless over it. Completely. Well, the news media wants you to feel like you have some power over it because this is happening to you, so what must you do to fix this? Mm -hmm. But that's another part of the, the paradox here is that we are truly powerless to what is happening, the outcomes of what's going on in the world. The only thing we have power over is our own behavior, our own attitude, our own actions, right? Our own thought process. We can change that. So I am fascinated with your journey of going from this is all happening to me to this is happening for me. And what you really help me understand, and, and this is really going to be the talk for, for the next episode, is this idea of the science. We, we've heard this term so much about the science and the science of coronavirus and COVID, and that the science is right. Trust the science. And You've shared some things with me. I, I really didn't understand how this COVID vaccine was going to affect my body. And again, if I turned on one TV show, it would tell me one thing. If I turned on another TV show, it would tell me something else. I wanted to do my own research. And this is where I'm so grateful to have you in my life because you and I spent hours on my back deck talking about this in a way that, again, somebody with all the training, background, and expertise that you have in medicine, and I get it, you're not an immunologist, you're not a virologist, you're a cardiologist. <laughs> I get it. But you speak medicine. You understand this stuff. 
And I'm so excited to get into some of that stuff to just help further the clarity around all of these things that all this information that's being dumped on us and get a little bit of clarity behind some of this. I, I think we've done a lot of good work hanging out with my good friend, Dr. Rishi Menon. Appreciate you being here, but Absolutely. we got a lot. We got a lot more to talk about. So with that, brother, that's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.